We'd like to read our scripture lessons today. Our Old Testament lesson is found in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, the last five verses. Genesis 3, 20 through 24. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a pew Bible somewhere near you, the page numbers where these passages are found are listed in the bulletin. And you're welcome simply to sit back and listen and not try to read along at all, just hear the text as it's read. We catch where this begins is right after the fall, and God has pronounced judgment upon the serpent, upon the man, upon the woman, and now there are other consequences that flow from that. So we catch it up right there. Listen here to God's word. Now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So God drove the man out, and at the east of the garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Amen. Then our gospel reading is a good Christmas text, has its own set of sorrows with it. Matthew chapter 2, we'll read the first eight verses, and then verses 16 through 18. Familiar story of the Magi, and Herod's reaction to them, and then Herod's reaction to their taking another way home. Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, listen here to God's word. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers, among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, Report to me, so that I, may, that I too may come and worship him. And of course, they don't do that. God tells them, go back by another way, and here's Herod's reaction. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. Then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. Amen. Then our primary text today is from Revelation chapter 5, the first five verses. Revelation 5, 1 through 5, John has been called up to heaven. The Lord Jesus, God, speaks to him there, tells him a variety of things, shows him some things. And this is the first part of the vision in verse in chapter 5. Listen here to God's word. 
I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. Amen. We'll take just a few moments to bow our heads and silently meditate upon God's word, which we've read. Gracious God, we come in Jesus' name before you this morning. And Lord, we, we delight in the reality that Jesus Christ has been born millennia ago now, but the historicity, the factuality of that continues on to our day and to the, all the days that are left for this world. Thank you, Lord God, for sending your Son. As we consider your word now, we ask you to illumine us, uh, put your word as a laser into our hearts and into our minds to inscribe there what's right and true, to take away what's wrong and false. Help us, Lord God, to hear from you, be molded by you, be made by you, that we may be your more faithful, fruitful servants. We ask in the name of Christ Jesus, our Savior, and the Lord of all. Amen. Okay, what's the first and most basic interpretive rule for reading Revelation? Herb's going to put it right up on the screen here. <clears throat> I trust he's going to put it up on the screen there. Yeah. Revelation 5, like Revelation 4 in the rest of the chapters we'll read is not a photograph. We did this two weeks ago, remember? We need to know this is not a photograph. It is a representation filled with symbols. Thank you, Herb, that's good. Just wanna make sure that we remember that. This does not mean that what is conveyed here is not real, nor does it mean it's not historical, only that it's represented to us and not videotaped to us, as it were. So we need to understand it's representative, it's not videotaped. So what's represented in today's text? There's a scroll, a book. Uh, it's on the hand of God, like God is holding it, the one who sits on the throne. Uh, he's there, he's holding this book, this scroll. We're not quite sure if it's a scroll or if it's a book, but it doesn't matter which one it is. And it's written on the inside and the back. That is, it's full and complete. All of it is there. Nothing is missing. And what that should remind us of right off the bat are the Ten Commandments. Here's what it says about the Ten Commandments. When Moses came down, it says, Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets which were written on both sides. They were written on one side and the other. The tablets were God's work. And the writing was God's writing engraved on the tablets. Now, I don't know if you remember that or not. If you've been through confirmation, we try to emphasize that each time, that uh, the Ten Commandments were on both sides of the tablets. The two tablets uh, were two copies, if you would, one for the, the one who made the, the testimony and one who received that. So God's copy and our copy, uh, but it was on both sides. And the point is, is that the... Uh, 
writing was the writing of God, not the writing of man. It was engraved by God on those stones. So Herbie, you can take that down now. <clears throat> and I would suggest to you that that scroll or book, which is on the hand of God, described that way, represented that way, is God's plan and purpose for all the world. That's what it is. It's, it's full, it's complete, it's written by Him. Uh, it's watched over by Him. And uh, He's the one who's done that. And it's sealed, now they have seals. There's seven of those seals on that book, which means that it's sealed completely. It's, this is what's going to be. It's not going to be added to it or taken away. That's why there's seven. But there's a problem. No one can open the seals. If no one can open the seals, neither can anyone look inside the scroll or inside the book to see what's written there, to understand that. Now, the problem is not an issue of power. It doesn't say that no one is able to do it because they're not strong enough, nor is it a question of wisdom, that someone's not wise enough, not smart enough, doesn't have enough natural IQ capacity to, to open them. That's not the issue at all, what it's described here. It says there's no one found worthy. Different category entirely. No one is worthy to open the seven seals and open the book and see what's there. So the issue is one of worthiness. And that produces, in the Apostle John, weeping. In fact, what it says, it says, great weeping. Weeping that racks his soul, that is great and deep and uh, not just your normal crying. I can remember one time, this only happened to me once, where I was in my office with a couple, and uh, uh, they were in the process of divorcing, of being gone. There had been infidelity and all sorts of things going on and, and not repentant. And as we were talking, and as I prayed with them, it, it's like the Spirit of God came on me, and I wept. I think I wept like it greatly. It wasn't like I normally, I never cried like I before, never cried like I've since. Just a weeping deep from the, the, the pit of my soul, like the weeping of God for what has happened here. What has gone on? And what, is, what, a, what a horrible, sad, difficult thing. That's how John is weeping. He's weeping deeply, deeply, deeply because here the plan and purpose of God can't be carried out, can't be seen because it's sealed and no one's worthy to open it up. So it seems like God's will is not to be done. But then comes the exhortation as he weeps. The exhortation is by an elder, one of the 24 elders. Remember when we did this two weeks ago? I mentioned to you, my understanding is that those 24 elders represent all the elect of God uh, down through history. Old Testament, New Testament, and on up to our own age and beyond where we are now. All the elect of God are represented there. And God's people, the elect of God, tell John, stop weeping. At least that deep, grave weeping. It's a command. But why should he stop weeping? And how 
can he stop weeping when this has come on him like that? And he says, because the lion has overcome. That word overcome is nikao. Our word Nike comes from that. It's the word for conquer, to be overcomer. It says the lion has overcome. Uh, it says this lion is from the tribe of Judah. That grounds it in history, right? You have all this representational stuff going on, but it's grounded in history. So what does we know about the tribe of Judah? Herb, what does it say? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. So Judah is the tribe where God's going to bring forth his king, going to bring forth the one who, who accomplishes all these things. That was prophesied by Jacob in Egypt way back in the day. Uh, thank you, you can take that down now. So that's him, but he's also, it says, the root of David. He's from David. And if we'd read earlier, the earlier part of Matthew chapter 1, and before we would have seen that uh, Joseph, Jesus' father, his adoptive father, but his father is from the tribe of Judah, from the line of David. And so you could say that he comes from the root of David, that he would come from there. But the root of David also refers to the root from which David came, right? And that root is the Son of God in God's purpose and God's plan from before the beginning of time. That's where David's role in all this is rooted in the plan and purpose of God. That's why the genealogy is given in Matthew chapter 1. You remember we, we did this maybe, oh, three or four months ago now, but Jesus on his, during Passion Week, he's talking with the, the scribes and the elders, chief priests, and they ask him some questions, but then he has a question for them. What does it mean? How can it say this, that the Lord said to my Lord? He says, now we know that that's David. Well, how can he say that the Lord said to my, how could someone say that to him? And, and they said, we don't know. What Jesus is saying, saying, I'm the one who spoke to David. I'm his Lord. That is, by the time Jesus is ready to go to the cross, he understands completely who he is in his human understanding. He says, this is what that means. Well, we understand that the root, the lion from the tribe of David, is in fact the Lord Jesus Christ. So, what are we to make of all this? Why do we even bother reading that? Why should we think about that? Well, we need to look at our texts. Our texts are very good texts, very important. And Genesis 3, 20 through 24, delineate the problem. The problem. We all have this problem. We have been cast out of paradise. We've been cast out of the Garden of Eden. All had been well there. There was no sickness. There was no weeping. There was no sickness. There were no thorns. There was no sin. There was no murder. None of that was there. But we've been cast out of that. 
Now, God still provided for them. He covered them, clothed them with animal skins. God still provides for us. We have common grace that comes to all of us. But he was sent forth with the same task, to cultivate the earth and keep it, to take care of all of God's creation. That is, as a vice region underneath God. Thing is, there's no way back into paradise. There's no way back into the Garden of Eden. Now, sometimes people ask, well, you know, they, they look at this very, very, uh, in a different way. Where was the Garden of Eden? Was it in the Middle East? Was it in South America? Where was it? <clears throat> we'll never know. Because all that was broken up by the flood. Pangea, all the one kind, all that was broken up and dispersed by the flood. So we don't know. A new earth, as it were, was born through the flood. But what it does do here in Genesis 3, it speaks of the total depravity of man. That's what Revelation 5 is about. No one is worthy. No one is worthy. We're all driven away. It speaks about, we have to drive them out because they have become like one of us. Notice the plural used for God, like one of us. Trinitarian implications there, like one of us. How are they, how is mankind like one of us, one of them, one of God? He says, knowing good and evil. That is, humanity has been infected with sin, which means that we say, I'll determine what's good and I'll determine what's evil. That's been our problem all along. We don't believe God. We don't believe what He said. We don't believe what He said about good and about evil. And so we're, we put our place, ourselves in place of God. He's become like us. Now you can, I like to read history. You go all down through history and you'll see that is the problem. We won't believe and adhere to what God has said, what God has declared. Here's the truth. We're not divine. We can't, just because we say something is good or we say something is bad, doesn't make it that way. We're not that way. We think we are, but our perception of that or our declaration of that does not make anything good or evil. So we're not divine, but we are in need of divine help. Because just as John saw and wept greatly, no one, no one is worthy. Uh, of course, the very next chapter, chapter 4, starts off with murder. That's where we go. We end up murdering. Because even though God has told us what to do or not to do, we do it anyway. And so John weeps greatly as he sees the plan and purpose of God, man's helplessness, and no one worthy to effect God's plan of redemption to clothe us with garments. Lost forever. The specter of that should cause anyone to weep, weep greatly. But Matthew 2 then becomes the paradigm of mankind. It's a great story. It's a great historical event. 
Herod is king of the Jewish nation. He's the king. He was a powerful potentate. He, he had all kinds of things. He was, he was a little bit mad as well. He's the king of the Jewish nation. And here come some magi, some, some wise men from over east of him. And they say, we've come seeking him who is born king of the Jews. Well, how do you suppose the king of the Jews, you know, they're not looking for him. <laughs> they're not looking for Herod. What? You're looking for, for, for someone who's the king of the Jews? I'm the king of the Jews. But he doesn't do that. He's a little more subtle. He says, oh, really? Oh, really? Oh, really? Uh, what makes you think of that? And they explain to him why. And he says, well, tell me how you know this. And they explain things to him. And he asks his own scribes to figure out where this should be. And they're told it has to be in Bethlehem. And, uh, but Herod here is a picture of fallen mankind in allegiance with the God of this world. He'll use subterfuge, disarming guile, tell big fat lies, says, I want to worship him too. Go find out where he's, I want to worship him too. All a big fat lie because he was intent on doing his own will, doing his own thing. I'm the king of the Jews. The Messiah cannot be. Of course, that doesn't happen. Despite all his lies, despite all his subterfuges, God speaks to the Magi, and they go back by another way. And then what happens? Here's why we read this passage today, this Christmas passage today, along with our text from Revelation. Because then great weeping happens. Great racking weeping, just like John had there, because here's the outworking of fallen mankind in allegiance with the devil, in allegiance with the spirit of the God of this world, he goes and he murders all the male children in the environs of Bethlehem from two years old and below, he kills them. And of course, there's great lamentation, great sorrow. My goodness, he just does it. And that's where mankind ends up. So there's great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children. So that's our plight. We are a planet filled with causes for great weeping. There's still murder, there's still lying, there's still disingenuous subtleties that seek to take advantage of people. And it's all meant to displace God and His role in our lives. I want to ask you something here. This will cut to the very core of the bottom. Are you purposing to be an inventor or a discoverer? Now, if you were at Gail Constantra's funeral, I talked about this then, just briefly. <clears throat> we talk about inventors. I think by the proper definition, there's not an inventor that's ever been around, except for God. An inventor takes where there's nothing and makes things. Invents things, says, here's how it's going to work, here's what it is. Where there's nothing at all. A discoverer is one who goes and finds out what is already there and how to work with it, how to arrange it, how to put it together so that good can come from that or whatever. It can be manipulated. That's a discoverer. You think of Lewis and Clark. Their, their, their thing back in 1804 was called uh, the discovery, right? The mission they went on. They were going to discover what's already out there. They didn't determine what those lands were going to be like. Again, my favorite example of this is... Uh, Airplanes. Inventing an airplane. No one invents an airplane. 
No one. What we do is we discover what rules God has in place and that he holds in place so that these 10,000 parts, none of which can fly, none of which if you let go of them, they, they fall down the ground, none of them can fly, how those 10,000 parts can be put together, loaded with thousands of pounds of fuel and then thousands and thousands of pounds more people and luggage can fly. Despite all the, none of them by himself can do that. Can do that only if the discoverer finds out, well, what are the rules that are already in place by which this big, hulking, bulking machine can go fast enough and be shaped in the right configuration so that the laws of thermodynamics, which have been around since the Garden of Eden, this thing can fly. Now, do you see the difference? An inventor says, I'll discover what's here, and I'll discern what's here, I'll make sure here's what it's going to be, I'll set the rules. A discoverer which you should desire to be, which I should desire to be, is one who discovers what's already there, what God has given, what God has determined, what God holds in place, and work within those rules, within those laws, to make life be well. That's called cultivating the earth. He didn't tell Adam and Eve to go and create an earth. He said, go and cultivate the earth. Our trouble is that we think we're worthy, we're not. I'm running out of time. I have one more quote. Do I have one more quote, Herb, that you can put up there? Okay, this is when the, the cornerstone was laid for the United Nations building in New York City. Uh, President Truman spoke. And President Truman's a good man. He's from the Midwest, after all. <laughs> and, uh, but here's what he said. These are the most important buildings in the world, for they are the center of man's hope for peace and a better life. Now, if you believe that, you've believed a lie. There are no international problems which men of goodwill cannot solve or adjust. If you believe that, you believe a lie. And where you'll end up, if you believe both those things, you'll end up like John, eventually weeping greatly because you find out that there is no peace. There is no justice. There is no hope because all we have is ourselves. We need someone who's worthy. Thank you, Herb. So, the church, down through the ages, tells us, stop weeping. Stop being completely downcast. Stop being completely negative. Because there's one who is worthy. It's the lion from the tribe of Judah. The root of David. He's worthy. And all those seals will be opened. It all will be unfolded. And God's will shall be done. He will cause weeping to cease. And hence, by the time we get to Revelation 21, we'll see that there's no more weeping, pain, lamenting, or sorrow there at all. But we're not there yet. We're here. And we can see things and we weep for what's going on and what is going on. But we have consolation. The consolation is Christmas, right? Christ has come. The lion of the tribe of Judah has come in reality, in real 
historic terms. He's, he was here, he's flesh and blood. And he did God's holy work. And he's able to take no matter who we are, or where we are, or what we've done, he's able to take us, redeem us and transform us and make us his own. And so we have a hope, a hope that does not disappoint, a hope that's realistic, a hope that looks kind of on him, not on us. And therein, our weeping shall be gone. Next week, we'll see how that lion of the tribe of Judah accomplishes this. Amen.